0: Alright, and for our study here in the sanctuary, we're going to be dwelling on the the reading that we just did there in 1 Corinthians 1. You may want to keep that open. Uh, We are looking here in January, uh, we're finishing up this series on the attributes of God. And we're looking in particular at those attributes that we call communicable attributes. And what we mean by that is, these are the things about God that He wants to share with us. He wants us to in some way reflect who He is. Uh, We looked at holiness last week. God is holy, holy, holy. And God actually calls on us as his people to be holy as he is holy, believe it or not. Well, same thing here. God is wise. In fact, the Bible says this about God. God is the only wise one. God only wise is what it calls him, as we sang earlier. And yet, even though God is the only wise one, he has created us to share in some way in his wisdom. How is that? Uh, this chapter, this section that we read, explains it. Now, if I were to ask you to describe really briefly who the most wise person you know is, what, it, what that person is like, I don't know what would come to your mind. Uh, I know for some of us it would be a particular person. Are you picturing somebody in particular whom you believe is wise? Uh, maybe a parent, a grandparent, a mentor. Uh, Or maybe you're not picturing a person at all. Maybe you're thinking about some description, some ideal of what that wise person would look like. Or hopefully you're not thinking this, but on average, this is what people do think. Maybe you're thinking of yourself. Uh, Did you know, this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 26, verse 12, uh, do you see the man who is wise in his own eyes? Do you see him? By the way, do you see the woman who is wise in her own eyes? Do you see her? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Um, Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Uh, The moment we begin to think of ourselves as wise, and Paul's going to back this up as we look at 1 Corinthians, that's the moment that we actually become foolish, while we recognize God himself to be the definition and the source of all wisdom, that's actually the beginning of real wisdom, which is something that we can only grow in as, as, if, like, as a process over time in our lives. And so if you look at your bulletin, I want to talk to you about uh, what Paul says here about the wisdom of God. Uh, first of all, he tells us what the wisdom of God is not. Uh, secondly, he tells us what the wisdom of God is is and then lastly he tells us how the wisdom of God comes to us and so instead of thinking of ourselves as wise in our own sight let's look at God for a minute let's think about how wise he is and how he shares that wisdom with us the first thing is what the wisdom of God is not in verses 18 to 22 if I could summarize those verses it's this God's wisdom is not like the wisdom of this world What this world thinks of as wise is not what God thinks of as wise, at least not in every case. Uh, Notice how he starts there in verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now, what, what does it mean by the word of the cross? What does that mean? The word of the cross. You're allowed to answer yeah scripture. scripture yeah scripture is specifically about what John God, God? Jesus right the cross yeah even more specifically about about God and about Jesus specifically about how God has made a way for people to know him through the cross through Jesus dying on the cross now I think You would agree that there's nothing in the world more wise, more well put together than that plan that God had by sending his son to die on the cross so that sinners could become like Mephibosheth. Uh, We could become like Jonathan's lame son who was lifted up to a place at the king's table to eat for the rest of his days. That's wise, and yet notice the world, at least those in the world who continue to perish because they're lost in their sin and and refuse to believe, to them that very wise message is nothing but a bunch of foolishness, and it's only to those who are being saved, he says in verse 18, those who who are being transformed by God's power given to them, that the cross becomes, in their eyes, the wisdom that it actually is. In fact, it is God's plan and intention to make sure that people don't know him simply by their own self-made wisdom and knowledge, which is what in verses 19 and 20 he's trying to get across. In verse 19, he quotes from Isaiah the prophet. Uh, Isaiah knew what it meant to be a preacher that no one listened to. That was Isaiah's main goal, his main goal. Mission. He was to go and preach to Israel, and God even told Isaiah, Look, people aren't, most people aren't going to listen to you. Uh, They're going to hear you physically, but they're not going to actually listen. They're not going to accept your message, and yet go anyway, because, look at what it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, meaning I'm going to turn away from its intended goal. What the discerning believe they have discerned. Uh, God says, I'm gonna flip everything on its head. The people in this world who think themselves to be wise, I'm gonna expose them as foolish. The people who think they are discerning, I'm gonna show they haven't discerned anything at all. Uh, In verse 20, he says, Look at look around you in the church. Where are the wise people? Where are they, right? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's not on average in in Paul's day or even in ours. It's not on average the people that are at the center of power in culture that run to Jesus. On average, it's the people on the margins. It's the people who aren't considered by the world to be very smart and intelligent. That's true. And behind that is, it's not what the world assumes. The world assumes that's true because Jesus is just, well, he's foolish, and so fools like him. That's what the world has always thought about Jesus. But this is saying, no, there is a, actually a wisdom of God being played out in this. Because God refuses to have people boast in themselves, because he wants people to boast only in him, He's made it to where people by their own wisdom cannot get to know God. And so it's only those people who in the world's eyes are foolish who can begin to understand the true wisdom of the message of the cross. I mean think about the message of the cross. In order to receive it, you've got to be able to say you need it. And to say that you need Jesus, to die on the cross for you, is to say, what about yourself? That you have it all put together? That you're successful? That you're wise? No, you have to say, I'm a fool. I've messed up. I'm, I've been wrong about the biggest thing in world history, which is God himself. And so, you know, he, he knows I've been wrong about every other thing at some point in my life. I have messed everything up. And it's only by God sending his son to come in between him and myself to die on the cross to reconcile me that I can be made right. Only someone who thinks of themselves humbly, someone who has renounced their own wisdom can come to experience that. And so God has decided to use the message of the cross to thwart the discernment of the discerning, And to destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's strong. Those are strong words and strong language. Very strong. Uh, In verse 20 when he says the wise, the scribe, the debater. uh, These are words that were common in Corinth where Paul was writing this too. Uh, Corinth was a very popular, famous city at the time. It's not that famous today other than the fact that there's ruins there of what used to be. There's not a whole lot there in terms of a modern city today. But at the time, it was very cultured. And these three names, the wise, the scribe, and the debater, these were the the media of the day, right? These people were the media. They controlled the exchange of information. They judged what was good and what was bad. They judged what was foolish and what was wise, And so Paul is saying, look, the very center of power of your whole city, uh, those who hold the keys to knowledge, at least from a human perspective, they have been shut out because they have not been able to recognize that God has a wisdom deeper, wider, higher than anything any person has ever imagined. Uh, Job in the book of Job in in chapter 28 says this, very simple, where can wisdom be found? Where can wisdom be found? And he goes through all this long list. People have mined down deep into the earth and they found gold and jewels and all this. Have they found wisdom there? Uh, People have looked high up in the sky and they've seen all the stars. Have they found wisdom there? People have planted crops and learned how to make all things grow. Did they find wisdom? And at the end of the chapter, Job says, no, the only one who knows where wisdom is, is God." And God says to man, fear me, and that will be the true beginning of your wisdom. That's where it will begin. When you learn how to fear me for who I am, rather than seeing things your own way. Have you ever seen the movie Alice in Wonderland? You probably have. Um, I'm talking about the animated one from way back. It's a good movie. And when Alice drops into Wonderland, um, everything is nonsense. Remember that? Everything that happens makes absolutely no sense in the real world. And yet all the people, all the characters and creatures think that it makes perfect sense. And Alice is over here just pulling out her hair. Nonsense, she says. What are you talking about? That's not real. That's not true. And they say, well, of course it is. If you could think about that. If God, I mean, this is what this is saying. God comes down into our world and he interviews our media. He interviews the very important people who are exalted among men. And he says, nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense. It's not true. uh, Because you have not listened to me. He's not saying that human beings are right about nothing, because obviously, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn now and then by grace. Right? By grace. Right? Human beings aren't wrong about everything. But the very heart of the human wisdom project is eat up with heart disease. Because human beings are enamored with appearance over reality. We value appearance more than the actual reality. And that is completely abominable to God. And... We are obsessed with our own wishes over God's will, which is also a completely abominable God. The heart of human wisdom is rotten, in spite of which we have, by his grace, learned many things. Yet wisdom is lost. Because though we have much knowledge, we don't know how to apply that knowledge. And that's why it's so tragic. And obviously this was happening in Corinth. Even though these were Christians, they were still being drawn to the power of, And the wisdom of the world. It's so tragic when, as Christians, we want to just follow right along with the world and think exactly the way that the world thinks. We want to be accepted by the world around us. That's a tragic thing. Uh, God has taken off our folly and given us wisdom. And it seems like all we want to do is get the wisdom off and put the folly back on. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't go along with the world's wisdom. Let the church be the church. Be salty in the world, as Jesus put it, by being different. By thinking God's thoughts after him, reality over appearance, God's will over human wishes. All right? That's what the cross says. Number one, what God's wisdom is not. It's not like the wisdom of the world. But secondly, what God's wisdom is. Uh, Look at verses 22 to 25 where Paul goes a little deeper into what the cross says and how the cross shows the wisdom of God. In verse 22 it says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Now, by the way, this is not speaking um, racially here, right? This is not Jews and Greeks from Greece and everybody else is off the hook. It's only Jews and Greeks from Greece who are bad. Now this is a way of Paul saying Jews and Gentiles, which includes who? Ten out of every ten person people in the world, right? Ten out of every ten persons is either a Jew or a Gentile. Everybody follow me? So this is about every human being that ever was and ever will be. Uh, some people demand signs. That's true. That there are some people who don't accept what God says because they want everything proven on their terms. That They want hardcore proof, and they're the ones that get to decide when it's proven and when it's not. That's science. And then there are other people who seek wisdom. They want things to sound very, very high and lofty and beautiful and eloquent, right? There's people, and and all of us tend to kind of fall in one of those categories. You're either a math brain or you're a literary brain, and you you get off on either side of the, the road, Uh, depending on which one you are, whether more like the Jews or more like the Greeks of Paul's day. But Paul says there's a third thing. You don't have to pursue wisdom by simply demanding proof on your terms, and you also don't have to simply chase what sounds great. How about this? Preach Christ crucified. Uh, Declare, that's what preach means, declare, proclaim the truth. That God has revealed about his son, Jesus Christ, being put to death on the cross on behalf of his people so that they might be saved forever. That message, though it's a stumbling block to Jews and though it seems folly to Greeks, to those who are called by God, that is the very definition of the power of God and the wisdom of God. God has designed... In the cross, in the most wise way we can imagine, he has planned this mystery from all eternity, which was hidden from people until Jesus came. It was hidden from people mostly. We know in the Old Testament it was revealed in a great way, but it was still relatively hidden in the Old Testament. When Jesus came, it became fully revealed. God was going to reconcile sinful people to himself, not by what they do, not by what they learn and study or think or figure out on their own, but by what God does for them by the sacrifice of his son. This was wise because God was going to deliver the best end. He was going to deliver a whole saved people to belong to him, to love him and be loved by him. And he was going to deliver that best end by the best means. He was going to deliver in a way that would stop forever all of our boasting. So that in the church, in in the body of Christ, no one can say, I am here because I deserve to be here. I'm here because I'm a good person. I'm here because I'm smart and I figured it out and I studied and I, I cracked the case. No, the cross says anyone who is there, anyone who is connected to Christ is there because... And only because of what Christ did for them when he laid down his life. This was wisdom. It confounded human wisdom because no one could have figured it out. No one would have invented it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that was one of the reasons why in the end he believed in Christianity. And I agree with him. Is because he says, there's nobody who would, in, who would have invented this. And, and I tend to agree with that. It's not the kind of thing that people invent. Because there's plenty of religions to show you what people invent. And almost all of them are human exalting. In some way or another, right? They're, they're human exalting. The gospel of Jesus, when taken rightly, when believed rightly, is human abasing, it's human humbling and God-exalting, nobody would have invented that. Uh, Plus, who would have thought that God's method of of salvation would be for him to become a human fetus in the womb of a young woman in Palestine in, you know, the first century A.D. under Roman rule, Uh, a man who would be despised and rejected his whole life, and he would eventually be put to death in the most gruesome way or the world has ever known. Who would have guessed that one? Certainly not the, the Jews, even though they could have known that. Because the New Old Testament really did show them to be prepared them. And some of them did know that. By and large, they didn't see it. And definitely, none of the Greeks saw it coming. <laughs> because this defied everything that all their philosophers had ever said whether it's Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, whoever, whoever you think about, they could have never guessed at what God would do in the cross. In other words, when we say God is wise, when the Bible says God, in fact, is the only wise one, what we mean is that God has the perfect ability to achieve the best ends by the best means every single time. That's what wisdom is. Uh, how is wisdom, for example, different than knowledge? Somebody help me with that. How one Good. Say more, Ed, about that. Well, I mean, knowledge is just knowing a fact. Gotcha. Yep. Wisdom is applying it. Taking that fact, reasoning out to some kind of conclusion, and usually it's a conclusion of what you're going to do with that fact or facts. Um, Yeah, that's exactly, I think, true. I mean, in the Bible, wisdom is skill, It really. It's not just knowledge, it's skill. It's the skill of living. It's the ability to achieve and to do those things that you ought to do as a human being and to do them in the right way for the right reasons. That's wisdom, which is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For God, it's doing exactly as he has planned to do which is the best possible thing because God can't plan anything that's amiss. And for God to achieve that at exactly the right time, in exactly the right way, for exactly the right reasons, no fallibility at all, no failure at all, no, nothing beneath his dignity in it at all. And God has done that. At the cross, God upheld his mercy and his justice at the same time. God upheld his value of grace and truth at the same time. God displayed both his wrath and his love at the same time. Perfect achievement of the result by the perfect means, sacrificing none of his beauty, none of his glory, none of his perfections. God is the only wise one. He's the only one who is wise every time, all the time. The only one who is originally wise... Uh, as the kids say, he's the OG when it comes to wisdom. And if you, y'all I don't know if y'all know, but what that is, go look it up. He's the OG when it comes to wisdom. Every other wise person or wise thing derives its wisdom from him. Right? He's universally wise, meaning he's not just wise in one area of his doings and thinking, but he's wise in every area. He's wise incomprehensibly, meaning when we, if we were to look at what God does... We can't figure out exactly how he does it. Um, I mean, just think about the management of the world. How does God manage the world? Billions of people. Even more billions of creatures. Weather patterns. Misbehavior of people. Demons, angels. History. Nations. How does he do that? I can't say. But he does. He always achieves the best results in the best ways, all the time. Even when people do all their best to undo his plans, they can't, because God is only wise, perfectly wise, worthy of our admiration. In this way, this is why all true wisdom has to begin with me stopping to think that I, me stopping the fact, thinking the fact that I'm wise. I've got to stop that. Um, When I said at the beginning, picture the wise person, uh, describe the wise person, um, all of us at some level think of ourselves. Um, In some situations, in some situations, we do, right? I'm not saying in all, but in some, in some places of our lives, we think, man, I got that figured out. I've got it whipped. I know what I'm doing. I know better than that person, right? True wisdom begins with, Lord, teach me. Oh, God, who knows all things, God, who has created all things, who directs them, God, who thought of the cross and and sent your son to die there to reconcile me and then now saves people through preaching that message and it confounds the smartest people in the world. Oh, God, praise you. Show me. Show me how to live. Show me why to do the things that I do. Uh, Show me how to do those things. Don't leave me in the dark. That's where wisdom starts. Uh, As long as we think of ourselves highly, we render ourselves fools. This was the Corinthian problem. And is it maybe unfair to say it's also an American problem? Or is it fair to say that? Seems fair to me. Maybe you disagree, but it seems like our culture has a similar issue. We have a lot of pride in who we are, you know, and we think we've got a lot of things figured out. Most of the good things of the world, we think, stream from us. Beware. Let's humble ourselves and let's remember there is a God. Where can wisdom be found? People can figure stuff out, but they cannot figure out wisdom because wisdom is a matter of the heart, and the heart is sick. Desperately so. All right, which leads us to our final thing, how God's wisdom can come to us. Well, we said it starts with saying, I'm not wise. But it goes further than that. It's not just saying, I'm not wise. It's learning how to receive The wisdom that God intends to give us. And Paul in verses 26 to 31 explains how that wisdom is given and shared. Um, Some of my kids took swimming lessons for a few summers in a row, trying to get them ready for when we would go to the beach in the summer. And I always was struck by a few things. Number one, how expensive swimming lessons can be. (laughs) That struck me, uh, and then two also how simple the swimming lessons are for the cost, uh, and so the vast majority of the time, at least from what I saw, they were teaching, especially our youngest kids, just simply how to float. That was the swimming lesson: just learn how to float. And I thought, hmm, I'm paying this much to learn how to float. But beside the point. Uh, I, as I got into that, I thought, well, why, you know? And I. And I talked to one of the swimming instructors when my first son was doing this. And she explained, well, the reason is that when you're drowning, the worst thing you can do is what? Try. Try. <laughs> the best thing you can do is float. Yeah, learn how to float. And that's the reason why they do that. That's the reason why they teach little toddlers how to float. Is because when you're, you're starting to freak out, you're starting to sink. Instead of flailing around and... You're filling your lungs full of water. Stop, roll on your back, and float until somebody can come and rescue you. Well, that's what Paul is describing in verses 26 to 31. Once we stop and say, you know, I'm not as wise as I thought. Human beings aren't as wise as we thought. God, let me hear your call. Because God, it's in following your calling, which is a word he uses several times. Following your calling is how your wisdom truly does get transmitted to me. It gets gifted to me. Paul says in verse 26, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Consider how you were called to be a Christian. Not many of you in the church were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of the uh, professors in Corinth were converted. Now, he doesn't say none of them. I'm sure there were some very, you know, worldly, intelligent people within the church, as there are today, but not many. Not many were powerful. He doesn't say none, but just not many. Not many were of noble birth. Not none, but not many were from the noble classes. Calling. When you were a child, did you ever get called by your parents to supper or called inside from playing? Was there ever a time when you were called and you didn't answer? Mm -hmm. Happened a lot of times for me. Got in trouble several times for this problem. Too busy having fun, didn't want to listen. This chapter says the call of God when it comes to us comes with a special kind of power. Okay? It's not like your mama's call or your dad's call. Who could call and you could still continue to rebel. Here it says the call of God comes according to God's choice. Verse 27. And that when God calls according to his choice... He actually brings us into Christ Jesus, verse 30. Because of him, because of God, because of the one who calls, you are brought into Christ Jesus. This is speaking about the call of the gospel. When the word of God is preached, when the the word of the cross is preached, many people think it's foolish In fact, all of us would think it's foolish unless God did something in our heart to draw us, to woo us, to convince us and persuade us to change our minds. And this is what the Bible means by calling. God changes the mind. He changes the heart so that no longer do we hear the word of the cross as foolishness, but we hear it as the most brilliant message we've ever heard. What an absolute joy it is to know that someone like me can be brought into God's family. At his own expense, a foolish person like me can be wise in God's eyes, sign me up. When God calls us, that's the kind of change that occurs. So that through the power of God, we are put into Jesus who becomes to us wisdom. In other words, we get into Jesus and Jesus gets into us. Christ in me, me in Christ, what is called union with Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you become one with him. His righteousness becomes yours now. His death is yours. His resurrection, yours. His reign even in heaven right now somehow becomes yours. You are seated with him, the Bible says, in heavenly places. And also, y'all, his wisdom becomes yours. You're given, as Paul will say in the next chapter, you are given the mind of Christ. When a person learns how to receive the cross as his only hope or her only hope, it opens up a new relationship with God that's not just, it's not at a distance anymore. It is a oneness. It is best described as a kind of marriage where the two become one flesh, but here the two become one spirit. And the spirit of God comes to live in us to teach us that wisdom that is God's uh, so that the only wise God actually can make fools wise. He can teach foolish hearts how to live well, how to have the skill of right living for the right reasons, in the right ways. That's what it's saying. Because of him, you're in Christ. Consider your calling. There were many who heard the gospel, and they didn't believe. Some of them are the most important people in town, and they didn't believe. And yet God chose and then called powerfully those that were the weakest. And here you are in the church, the weak people of this world, and yet you're strong in Christ. The world sees you as foolish, but don't worry. They see Jesus as foolish too. Does that make him foolish? Not at all. And you are wise with him. You can begin to learn to see the world for what it really is. In fact, in chapter 2, again, um, right before it says we have the mind of Christ, it says this statement that is sometimes confusing to people. It says the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. What does that mean? This means the person who has the Holy Spirit can understand the non-Christian perfectly well. And the non-Christian world perfectly well. Why? Well, we were that way. And now we know it from the other side, what we were. But the non-Christian doesn't know anything about the Christian. Can't understand a thing about the Christian. It makes no sense to them why the Christian is the way the Christian is and why the Christian thinks the way they think. When they're thinking according to Jesus, that is, right? The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for we have the mind of Christ. Imagine it. In the gospel, through the cross, not only do we have righteousness, not only do we have sanctification, not only do we have redemption and all the things we normally talk about in church, but we also have this wisdom. We have the ability to read scripture and not just hear the words of men, ancient words that are out of date. Um, We have the ability to hear what what it really is, the word of God spoken directly to us right here, right now with tremendous application, tremendous implications for the way we live our lives, beginning with the way we think, with the way we think. I said in the first point that the wisdom of this world is bankrupt because its heart is bankrupt. Okay? It's not because, apart from Jesus, the world knows absolutely nothing true. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the heart of it is sick because it valued appearance over reality, and it valued human wishes over God's will. Well, here what it's saying is that in Jesus, we learn to do the opposite. Reality becomes more important than appearance to the Christian. We chase reality. We chase sincerity. We chase truth, not just appearances of truth, but truth. We want to judge things truly, not just on the basis of superficialities. We begin to value God's will over our own. What makes human beings happy and satisfied becomes less of an issue to us. What makes ourselves happy and satisfied becomes less of an issue to us. What does God want? That becomes the number one priority because, well, Jesus died for what God wanted. That wins us over. (laughs) You know, if Jesus was willing to shed his blood to ensure that what God wanted happened, who am I to resist doing what God wants and wanting what God wants? And so you see how Jesus can become wisdom uh, to every single person uh, in the world. When God lifts us up, as we, in, the, in the terms of what we saw this morning, and sits us at the king's table. One of the things that he's feeding us every day, and one of the things we get the opportunity to, to grow in every day, is true wisdom. The fear of the Lord leading to a skill in godly living for the reasons that God has given us to do it. From the heart, sincerely and truly. This is what one writer says, and I'll leave you with this in closing. If a person is looking for depth, you know, being deep, being profound, if a person is looking for status or for purity or for freedom, all these things are found in Christ alone. Through his death on the cross, if God's way is to exalt and glorify Jesus, then the wise person will follow God's way will humble themselves before the crucified Savior, will renounce any reliance on worldly assets and boast of the Lord alone. That is true wisdom. Amen. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to give us that gift, true wisdom in our lives. Oh God, we know that apart from you, we are uh, sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked out over the crowds, that's what he observed about us, harassed and helpless, not knowing which way to go.